Well, good morning. It's about the cross, is that? What's the name of that song? It's about the cross. It's about the cross. <laughs> Who'd have guessed? Well, it's, a, it's about a whole lot of things that were mentioned in that song. And uh, one of the things that I, I don't think I did hear in the song, but that it is also about, it's about His glory. Amen? It's about the glory and honor of God uh, through the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sin. Um, it's about the glory of God through giving us grace when we really deserve justice and uh, giving us life when we deserve death. God has been so good to us. And uh, I, am, I am thankful for that. Well, if you have your Bibles... Let's, uh, let's turn and look at Luke chapter 2, and uh, you can put your finger there and uh, also put a, a piece of paper or a, a divider or something in Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be looking at that as well in a minute, but we're going to spend just a few minutes in, in Luke chapter 2 beginning in verse 15 through 20. And uh, we're going to talk about these wise men. You know, I, I see signs and I see bumper stickers and I see all that stuff every year this time of the year saying wise men still seeking. And, uh, that's, a, that's a quaint saying. The Bible says, not a bumper sticker, the Bible says there's none that seeketh after God, no, not one. So I guess what the Bible is saying, there's really none wise. Amen? No, no, not one. Well, what was it that made the wise men seek after Him? Well, God moved in their heart. God moved upon their lives and drew them uh, to seek after Him. And that's, that's what happened to us. That's the reason we decided to, to chase after, to seek after God, I'll never forget Bob Applegate, best friend, sitting out in a car out there. Uh, he wandered in the back door of the church down the street, and uh, he was headed to the church in waterproof. And for some reason, he got to the stop sign, and uh, there was something on the inside of him that just made him turn left instead of turning right. And he wound up coming into a, a Lakeshore Baptist Church rather than waterproof First Baptist, and he and I met and have been friends ever since, but more importantly, uh, he met the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's all about God moving in our hearts and illuminating our minds and waking us up and drawing us to Himself and giving us new life. The title of my message this morning is Life After Birth. You know, I've heard of a lot of babies being born and uh, they were born alive, but they didn't last long. They had crib death or whatever, and they died very suddenly and very soon in their lives. But aren't you glad that uh, once we are born again, once we have new birth, regeneration, that, that that life never ends. That life can never stop. It is appointed unto man once to die, whether it's from crib death and a newborn baby or whether it's from a 95 or 101. I just talked to, to uh, uh, our brother out in the parking lot, Larry, and my mind froze up on me and was talking about Pappy. And Pappy had his 101st birthday 
last Saturday. Wow, I, I wish I could have been there. I would have loved to have been there and, and uh, spent some time with him on his 101st. I was there for his 100th, but uh, boy, I hope he makes 120, amen. I don't know, he might not, he might not want to make it. Yeah, amen. Uh, but listen, uh, every man's going to, it's appointed unto man once to die. Uh, we're going to die. Um, but after this, the judgment. But once we are born again, once we have that new, new birth, and there is life, spiritual life, after spiritual birth, and that spiritual life never, never ends. And you look at uh, Luke chapter 2, and beginning in verse uh, 15, it reads like this, And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, uh, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even to Bethlehem and to see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. Boy, I love that, that particular verse because I realized that we were in darkness, we were blind, we were in spiritual death, we were separated from God. We did not know about the birth of Christ. We didn't know uh, about the Savior, Emmanuel, with us, that God had given up heaven and put on flesh and was born the babe of Bethlehem. We didn't know any of those things. And even after we learned them physically, it takes God the Holy Spirit to illuminate us spiritually that we might rationalize and realize the spiritual truth and that we might seek after Him. These wise men were only wise, not because they sought after Him, but because God moved in their hearts and caused them to seek after Him. Uh, that we should go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known to us. I want you to really realize what that is saying. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary, she kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned back to their own homeland. And when they went, they went glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Again, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. God, that You have sent wise men into our lives. God, to share Your Word, to share the truth, to share Your Son. God, help us to be wise and to take up our cross and follow after You and to go out into a dark and dismal land, into a lost and dying world with the Gospel of Jesus Christ, that we might truly be wise and preach the Christ to every creature under heaven and use words if it's necessary. Help us, God, to live it in front of the world that is watching us ever so closely. God, we praise you for that. And we pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, again, these shepherds, when they uh, were led by the Lord, by the Holy Spirit of God, 
to seek after this newborn babe and they followed the you know yonder star and uh, they wound up in Bethlehem and they came to the inn and they found the babe lying in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes and uh, they found not only the babe and they not only found Joseph and Mary but they found a new purpose in life And you see, that is exactly what happens to everyone in whom the Holy Spirit of God illuminates, regenerates, wakes up, draws and causes us to seek after the Messiah, to seek after the Savior, Emmanuel, God here with us. Uh, The same thing that my friend outside came looking for when he was going to a waterproof to go to church and wound up coming to the church right down the street. God led, God illuminated, God regenerated, and God saved. You see the process that it takes to come to Christ. But then I want you to realize that after regeneration, after life and salvation began, what happened to these men? It says that they turned around and they left. They went home. They went back to their families. They went back to the place that they came from. What happens when we come here to church? We come here to be illuminated, to be led by God, to be uh, ha- have the light of the universe. You know, the Bible says in John chapter 1 that, uh, that He was a light that lighted every man that cometh into the world. And of course, we know that that is the physical illumination, the physical light, the physical life that God gives us. And then He also comes and illuminates and regenerates new birth. Uh, gives to light those whom He pleases and wakes them up and draws them to Himself and changes, literally changes (coughs) not only their life, but their destiny and their destination. So these wise men, they returned. They went back to where they came from. And when they went back, what does the Bible say? It says that they glorified, that they praised, and that they testified of the things that they had heard and seen concerning this newborn king, this child, this babe of Bethlehem. My friend, listen, since you have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, have you returned? Have you gone back? Now, I'm not talking about like Peter did and the apostles did. They went back to their old life. They went back to fishing. They went back to their boat and they untied from the dock and went back to living the old life. But here comes Jesus. Listen. You can go back, you can fall in sin, you can go back to your old life, but if you are a child of God, God's not going to let you stay there. He comes and He finds you, and He found them out in the boat, and He came walking down the seashore and cried out to them, Sir, do you have any fish? Have you caught anything? And they said, Well, we fished all night. I hadn't caught a thing. Cast to the right side. You'll, you'll find fish. And they did. And of course, we remember Peter jumped off the boat. So excited about getting back to the feet of Jesus Christ. When God illuminates, regenerates, wakes us up and draws us to Himself the way He did these wise men, the way He did Peter or anybody else that's a child of God, we are going to be changed from the inside out. We'll never be able to go back to living the old life that we used to live. The great outstanding feature of the Christian is that he's a new creation. That he's born again. That he has a brand new life. That he's not the same as he used to be. It's not the common, natural, uh, physical, fleshly life. But it's a new 
Spirit begotten. The Holy Spirit of God illuminates, regenerates, wakes up, and gives us the life of God. That God literally comes to live on the inside of us the way we were talking about in Sunday school this morning. And it makes us new. See, I'm not, I'm not the same old person I used to be. Now, I told a, a story from back when I used to be that old guy. Miss Kathy says, don't tell me those stories. I don't want to hear them. I don't like, I don't, I didn't like you back then. And of course, I didn't like me much back then either. And neither did anybody else. But when Jesus shows up, isn't it amazing the way God never leaves you like He found you? That He always, when He comes to live on the inside of you, old things pass away and all things are new. And I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus and the love of God is shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit. God makes us new. Well, I want you to notice a few things in uh, Hebrews. If you will, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 and 2. And I want you to notice a few of the characteristics that this new life engenders or, or brings to life inside of the Christian. And you look at chapter 12 of Hebrews in verse 1 and 2, and you find this. Hebrews chapter 12, did I say that? Chapter 12 in verse 1 reads like this, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame and to sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. Boy, what a, what a powerful set. It's just two little verses. But what a powerful set of Scriptures there that describes this new life that even the kings, these, these uh, princes that traveled afar to find the young prince, the young king, Jesus Christ, the babe of Bethlehem, and the change that it made in their hearts and in their lives, and the change, that change, is made in our life. If you look again in verse 1, it says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and, weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run. Let us run. Do you see... Part of that life that we find or that is, is revealed in us actually by God. It's not something that we do, but it's something that He does in us. And it's energizing. I mean, you know, here I am 63 years old and I don't kick quite as high as I used to. And uh, I'm not the man I used to be. I, I think, uh, Freddie, are you starting to feel that? Yeah. Uh, Freddie, Freddie has uh, always been pain free. Uh, he's like a little energizer bunny. He never runs down, never wears down, never wears out. And all of a sudden, he found out lately that, hey, he's human. 
And uh, I've been feeling that. He's just now finding it. And I've been feeling it for the past 10 years or so. That's not funny, brother. <laughs> You're not supposed to laugh. It's only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse. Thank you for the encouragement. Uh, I appreciate those encouraging words. But uh, even though I don't run as hard as I used to, I'm still running the race. Amen? Because it's the Holy Spirit of God that lives on the inside of us that empowers us and enables us to be able to have that energy. I found out 20 plus years ago when I was a a Sunday school teacher at Calvary Baptist Church in Vidalia that that even though I was physically fit and I could, could run a lot farther physically back then, I found myself wearing out spiritually. And I didn't know why. You, you want to know why? That you can, you can run out of spiritual energy? You just try doing spiritual things in the flesh. You try doing things because, I mean, well, I'm, I'm excited about God and I want to go and I want to preach and I want to teach and I want to tell the world. Yes, but listen, God has a purpose and a plan for your life. So I started going to the retirement home. That was the first ministry I ever had. I started going to the retirement home, the nursing home up here. And I had, and there was other ministers, real preachers back then that was coming in and doing the services. So I asked them, well, what can I do? And they said, well, we've got some shut-ins. We've got some little ladies here that can't come out to the service. Some of them are amputees. Some of them have different problems, but they're shut up. They're in their room. They're their families don't come visit them very much, and some of them are a little little sour, but um, some of them are very, very sweet. And you can go in and you can just minister to them. And I said, wonderful, I'd be glad to do that. So I started going in. And boy, I met about, I had about six or seven ladies that I was going in, and just I'd open the Bible and read some verses and pray with them. And I got to know them all by name. Some of their names have escaped me now. But there was a couple that, boy, they were just as sour as they could be. And... Uh, You'd go in and, and they was like, you know, and they'd give you these looks and sounds and, and uh, you'd pray with them and talk to them and encourage them. I'll never forget the first time that I went in and I walked in the room and the bed was made and the lady was gone. And uh, I, I didn't, it didn't dawn on me what had happened. So I went to the desk and I asked the lady, I said, where's Miss so-and-so? And she said, oh, she passed last night. And it was like a ball-peen hammer. Just hit me right in my forehead because she was one of the sweet ones. They were all special to me, but especially those that had the Spirit of God in their lives. And boy, I just cried. I'll never forget the hurt. I went back in another time and a lady was gone. And boy, it hit, hit me in the heart when the bed was made and I walked in. So I went and I asked, I said, Miss so-and-so, she, she passed? And she said, oh no, she just moved. We moved her to the nursing home in Jonesville. <laughs> Man, this is a roller coaster ride. Now, I don't know about this. And I figured out real quick that this was not the ministry that God, I was loving it and I was enjoying it. But boy, I mean, this was killing me. And I, I joined the Gideons and I was in the nursing home over in Gina passing out Bibles. I walked into a room and here was this little black lady laying there in the bed, the one that was vacant. And I looked at her and I was like, yes. And I walked over to her and she was sleeping. And I didn't want to wake her up. 
So I walked over to her and I just bent over and I, I kissed her on her forehead. And, and she never opened her eyes, but she just kind of wiggled her mouth. She went, thank you. <laughs> and uh, I'll tell you, man, that was such a blessing. But I found out that God had a purpose and a plan for my life in the prison ministry. And I got into that through the Gideons and started going to prisons. And I started coming out to Lake and preaching and God opened the door. But I'll never forget that while I was teaching Sunday school and going to the nursing home and I was doing prisons and I was doing several different things. And all of a sudden, I found out that I was burning. Man, I was just burnt out. Not physically, but spiritually. I was drained. I was pouring more out than I was able to, to get back in. And then I realized that I was doing a lot of the things that I was doing in the flesh. And I had to find what it was that God's purpose. See, I want you to understand that even though you have the Holy Spirit everlasting life living on the inside of you, the Spirit of God living in you, that you can set aside the power of that Spirit and be living in the power of the flesh trying to do spiritual things and you will run out of energy. But one of the things that God has called us to do is to run the race and to fight the fight and to live the life that God has called us. And rather than running into more people that I've seen that are running out of energy because they're trying to do too much spiritual work and they're doing it in the flesh, I find people who are doing very little things in the Spirit and living the life, the energetic life that God has given them and called them to live. But it also says in verse 1 that part of that characteristic of a born-again Christian or a person who has the life of Christ living on the inside of them is not only the energetic life of running the race and living the life that God has called them, but it is a ordered life. You look again at verse 1 and it says, Wherefore seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. And run the race that is set before us. Do you understand that the race that God has called me to run is a set race? It's not that I get to go to the nursing home and to go do this and to go do that. And people call me up all the time and say, Hey, did you go visit so and so? Somebody, God laid it on my heart that you need to go see. And I say, Well, wait a minute. Now, if God laid it on your heart, maybe God's laying it on your heart that you should go see rather than coming and telling your pastor. You see, God has a purpose and a plan for all of our lives. And a race that each and every one of us should be running energetically for the glory and honor of God. But it is a set race. God has a set, a specific purpose and ministry for each and every one of us. It's not just a random rush. That we just, you know, gird up our loins and go running out the door and trying to find something to do for God. No, we need to time, spend time in prayer, meditation, study of God's Word, and then, of course, going and putting your hand to this plow and to that plow, like I did with the nursing home, and finding out, well, nope, that's not it, this is not it, and find out what it is that God has purposed for my life. What is His plan? What is the ministry 
that He has for me to do. Certainly, we want to be able to pray the same prayer that Jesus Christ prayed uh, in the garden. Not my will, but thine. See, Lord, I want to know what Your will for my life is. Not just try to find my will. But we also notice in verse 1, it says, Wherefore seeing, I'm going to read this over and over and over. It says, Wherefore seeing, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight uh, and sin which doth easily beset us and run the race with patience. With patience. Do you understand that it is a persevering life? We have an energetic life. We have an ordered life. God has a specific plan for my life, but it is a persevering. In other words, I don't just come out of the gate like a racehorse. No, I've been running this race now for 33 years. I've not come up lame. Kind of run off course a little bit every once in a while. But my, my race is not run. My course is not finished. I've known people who stood behind pulpits for 5 years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and all of a sudden they say, well, you know, God's done with me. Let somebody else come and take up the mantle of Elijah and, and take up the... Oh, but wait a minute now, Ray. If I remember right, Elisha threw the mantle down to Elisha as he was leaving in a chariot of fire. He was on his way to heaven. Amen. There is never a time that we have finished our race and we are still drawing a breath on this earth. We should persevere unto the end. We live the life that God has called us to live. We run the race. We fight the fight until there is absolutely no fight left in us. Our course, our race is not finished until we leave this world. There's got to be a patient continuance. Why? Because it's not a hundred yard dash. It's a marathon. It's a, it's a cross country run and well doing. Those who seek for the glory and honor, not of self, but the glory and honor of Christ. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 reads like this, but without faith it's impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder to them that what? Diligently seek Him. Now that word diligently carries with it that same word of perseverance. That we continuously, habitually, diligently, continually seek after the will of God in our life and run the race and fight the fight. It's an energetic life. It's an ordered life. But it isn't a, a persevering life. Oh, but it's an abiding life. Looking unto Jesus. Is that, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us and run the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. See, it's an abiding life. Looking unto Jesus. That means I'm abiding in Him and He is abiding in me. 
I'm not abiding in my strength and my power and my ability and my intellect or my anything else. The only thing that I am looking to for me to be able to continue to persevere, to run the race without falling short is the power of God in our life. We look to Him because we press on for the prize of His glory. It's not about me. It's about Him. My friend, I want you to realize something. It's not about you either. The Apostle Paul, even the Apostle said, I press towards the mark of the high calling of Jesus Christ in Philippians chapter 3 and in John chapter 15 in verse 5 he says I am the vine you are the branches he that abideth in me and I in him see we abide in him he abides in us and as we abide in him and he in us then we run the race and we are conformed to the image and likeness of Christ and the Holy Spirit of God living on the inside of us conforms us to that image which is of course the fruit of the Spirit Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. For without me, how much can you do? You're not a one. You're not a two. You're certainly not a ten. You're a zero. Without God living on the inside of you, running the race through you, we just submit. We surrender. We raise the flag. I think I preached on that a few weeks ago. And that it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And for us to run the race and to persevere and to abide, we have to have Christ abiding in us. But you look again what it said. It said, wherefore seeing also we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight. You see, that is our part. God's part is to embolden and encourage and strengthen and to lead and to guide and direct But for us, we have to crucify the flesh. For I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I, but yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. You see, it's a sacrificial life that we lay aside every weight, every sin that doth so easily beset us. Certainly you have one. I have one. I know what mine are. I'm not going to ask you yours. You don't ask me mine. But I'll guarantee you, we all have sinned that we stumble and fall and sometimes even willingly turn to. By the power of God, help us to forsake those things. Help us to turn away with every ounce, every inch, every fiber, every strength that we have. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27 reads like this, but I keep under my body And I bring it into subjection, lest by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway, disqualified from running the race, winning the trophy. When a man is going to run a race, you know, he he really has little regard for the fashions of the day. Uh, I mean, I guess some people want to wear the right jogging suit or the right running shoes. They got all the name brands and all of those things. But listen, that has very little to do with winning the trophy. I'm not interested in what you look like. I'm sure that God is not interested in what you look like. God is interested on what's on the inside, not on the outside. 
And we need to bring our hearts and our minds and our lives into subjection to the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 16, 24 says this, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Let him deny his own will. Let him deny his own thoughts. That our weight, you know, I don't know what your weight is. I don't know what the sin is that weighs you down, that burdens you, that draws you away, that takes your focus, your heart, your mind. You see, I found out we have this elliptical machine in my office at home. And I call it the torture rack. It's mean. You get on it, and uh, one lap, you got a screen up here that shows you running around this oval-shaped track. And one lap around the track is a quarter of a mile. Now, if I haven't gotten on that thing in a month, I can barely make a quarter <laughs> one lap. But if I'll, if I'll do that lap, and then tomorrow I'll do two laps, and the next day I, do, I can do four. And, and I found out that it, it doesn't take but about a month, and I can be up to 12, 14 laps. And instead of, you know, when you run, it tells you the number, that how fast you're going. And it's like you start out and you're on like 30 or 40 and you're, you run one lap and you almost pass out and fall off of that stinking thing. But I found out that if I'll do it and then tomorrow I'll do two laps, the next day I'll do four and the next day I'll do eight and the next day I'll do 12, then I can, instead of doing 40 on the speed, I can move up to 50, 60, 70 on it. And instead of it taking me two and a half minutes to make one lap, I can go around a lap in a minute and 30 seconds, a quarter of a mile in a minute and 30 seconds. Who would have thought that a 63-year-old man can do that? But you see, we're talking physical. Things. What about spiritual? There, there is also a building up spiritually in our lives. And part of that building us up and making us able to endure, to run the race, is called sacrificing and laying aside the weight. You see, if I'd have put heavy weights around my ankles and got on that elliptical, put 20 pounds on each leg, I couldn't have done a lap. But if you'll lay aside those weights which doth so easily beset you, and I'm talking spiritual, we've got to turn away from sin. We've got to turn our hearts and our minds and our focus towards the things of God, not the things of the flesh. And let us run the race with patience. We have an energetic, an order, a persevering, an abiding, but also a sacrificial life. A laying aside of the weight. But you look at verse 2 again, and it's, it's also so a joyful life. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him, the joy that was set before Him, before Christ. Now wait a minute. Are you telling me that God gave up heaven, put on flesh, became a man, and lived a 33 year sinless, perfect life? Just that part is excruciating. You say, oh, it couldn't have been for Jesus. He was God. Yes, but He lived His life as a man. 
He lived his life as a man and dwelt by the power of God the same way I live my life as a man and dwelt by the power of God. Certainly there are differences between me and Jesus Christ. He certainly was the God-man, as much man as man as man, but as much God as God is God. But my friend, he did not use the power of his deity to live the life or to run the race or to fight the fight. He fought the fight as a man empowered by the power of God, the Holy Spirit. And even though he realized that not only the run, not only the life that he was going to live was going to be excruciating, but he knew what was waiting on him at the end of that life, which was the cross. That he was going to suffer and bleed and die. And it says that even though he knew what was waiting on him at the end, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. My friend, do you wake up in the morning and are excited about living your life for the Lord? Does it, does it bring joy to you? You know, I, I'll tell you honestly, and I've shared this with you, I... I I have demons. I have a spiritual warfare that goes on in my life. And I don't know if anybody else has the same type of spiritual battle that I do or not. I know that me standing behind this sacred desk and being the chaplain out at the prison and the ministries that God has called me into, I am in the crosshairs of the enemy, and I know that they come after me, but I know that they come after you as well. Maybe in a different way, maybe not quite as, as strongly, maybe worse, I, I don't know. But I know that when I wake up in the morning, sometimes I wake up a lot of times, to be honest with you, I wake up in the morning and I have this deep depression I feel like I have been literally gone through a grinder in my sleep. And I, I, I know what it is. It, it's a demonic attack in my life. But as soon as my eyes open and I realize what's going on, and I know who the answer is, not what the answer is, but who the answer is, and I can immediately bring my mind, bring my thoughts to the feet of Jesus Christ and to the foot of the cross and present myself a living sacrifice. For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me, gave Himself for me. And I tell Him, Lord, this altar is the, this bed is the altar and I am the sacrifice. And I present myself a living sacrifice to you today and I don't know what today holds but I know that you hold today you're in control of me and my life and I want to surrender everything that I am to everything that you are and when I put my feet on the ground Lord I'm going to really need you I needed you in the bed with me before I got up but once I get up and get dressed and go out the door certainly I'm going to need you more then than I do now my friend, once I say that prayer and talk to the Lord in the morning, go in, make my coffee, sit down, do coffee with Christ, do my Bible study, I can walk out that door in the morning with joy in my heart. Looking forward to whatever it is that God has in store for me. I don't know. I don't know what the end of the day holds. It may be a cross. 
It may be the COVID. It may be cancer. It may be something that none of us would relish or look forward to in our lives. But my friend, there's a big difference between true joy and happiness. I wouldn't be happy to get COVID. I'm not going to be happy if I get cancer. But the joy of the Lord in my heart rules and reigns in spite of circumstances. Do you understand that's what this verse is talking about? That's what these wise men that traveled afar that came looking for Jesus, looking for the King of kings and the Lord of lords, see, that's what they were looking for. They were looking for hope. They were looking for a new life. They were looking for the, the long game, the long haul. Not, not just the immediate satisfaction. Not just the happiness of the day. But the joy that comes from having an intimate love relationship with God. Isaiah 53, 11 says, He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By His knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for He shall bear their iniquities. Boy, I love that verse because it says that Jesus Christ shall see the travail of His soul, and He, Jesus Christ, shall be satisfied. How can you be satisfied knowing that you're going to a cross? Because you know you're doing the will of God. Oh, wait a minute. It could be God saw the travail of Jesus Christ so, and He, God, was satisfied. That, that, you know, what it, what it says that He, God the Father, shall see the travail of His Son's soul and He, God the Father, shall be satisfied. How can God be satisfied watching His Son go to the cross? Because He's paying the price owed to the Father for our sin. And God the Father was satisfied with the price that was paid. Listen, you watch your family. You see them living the life God has called them to live. They're struggling. It's hard. It's not easy to be a Christian. It's not easy to live the life. You weep. You cry because of the travail of their soul that they're struggling to be faithful to God. And yet there's a joy there because you know you know that at the end of their life, at the end of their path, at the end of their battle, there's going to be a reaping of the reward. You look at the last part of this. Now, by the way, Psalm 30 and verse 5 says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Amen. And that's, uh, that's the end of your road. That's the end of your fight. That's the end of your race. When you step out of this life. But my friend, we are still running the race, fighting the fight, living the life. And we're doing that on the public square. It says we also are compassed about. Look again at verse 1. Wherefore seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. We are living a public Life. I know that this verse is talking about the saints that have gone on before and they're in the stadium and we're down on the field. We're running the race and we're doing the marathon. We're, we're in the game. And they've already gone and they're watching on and seeing and cheering for us. But my friend, we all have a crowd. It's called our concentric circle of influence. 
people that we run into in Walmart or in the parking lot, people that are here in the church that are brothers and sisters with Christ, the people in the parking lot that are listening on their radios or at home watching on Facebook. We are all running the race in front of multitudes of people who have us under a microscope. They're watching us. They want to see your families watching you, your children, your grandchildren are watching you. They're depending on you to show them how to run the race, to fight the fight, to be the Christian that we claim to be, not to be a hypocrite. It's so easy. I hate the word hypocrisy. But to be honest with you, I have hypocrisy in my own life. I hate it. With a holy hatred, I hate it. And more than I hate seeing it myself, I hate it being shown to others around me. That's the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. That crushes your heart like a grape. Not because you personally failed again, but because you brought shame to the Lord and because you've caused others to stumble. Let us run the race in such a way that edifies, undergirds, and strengthens those that are around us that we love. Let us run the race in such a way that glorifies our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ in humbleness and humility, realizing that we are flawed human beings. We are sinners. All saints are sinners. Not all sinners are saints. But we are sinners. Even though we may be children of God, we sin. Help us, O God, not to be satisfied with that. Help us to fight the fight as well as run the race. Let's pray. Father, we love You. We thank You for loving us. Thank You for this time that we've had together here in Your house. Lord, help us to be faithful to You. God, we, we want to be. I think of the man in the Bible that said, Lord, I, I believe. Help Thou my unbelief. Lord, I have faith. Help Thou my faithlessness. Lord, I am faithful. Help Thou my unfaithfulness. Help me, God, just to be better, to do better. God, that You might receive the glory. And we'll praise You for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to take a hymn book and stand.